Welcome to Feeding Frenzy, a podcast brought to you by the Breastfeeding Resource Center. The BRC is a nonprofit organization in Abington, Pennsylvania. We're here to provide support on various parenting topics to help you get through the roller coaster ride of parenting. I'm your host, Colette Acker. Let's take this journey together. Hello, I'm excited to have Jill Rapley, PhD and co author of The Baby Led Weaning. The Essential Guide to Introduce Solid Foods here with me today. You know, I have three children and they were born in the early 90s. And I was given very clear instructions uh, to start the pureed foods at four months and in a specific order. And by the time I had my third child, and my kids are two years apart, um, so it was a little crazy when you have a six-month-old, a two-year-old, and a four-year-old. I didn't have time to have a separate meals for this child and separate meal times. So I sort of did this baby-led weaning approach instinctually. And then, years later, I found your book, and I was like, aha, someone is, you know, talking about this, and it makes so much sense to me. And I've always taught starting solids classes, but the suggestions didn't make any sense to me. And that's why I am so excited to have you here with me today to talk about this method of starting solids. So welcome, Jill. Well, hi, Colette. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Great. And so before we get started, why don't you give us a little background on yourself and tell us how you got into this baby-led weaning approach. Well, so like you, uh, I have three children. And yes, the third one pretty much uh, had to just muck in with whatever else was going on. Mm -hmm. and, and all three of my children tried to show me, I think, when I look back, um, how they would prefer to have been introduced to solid foods. Mine were born in the 80s, and so it was very much spoon feeding and starting at four months. Um, but alongside that, I was a health visitor for many years, which is, you don't really have health visitors um, in, in many other countries, uh, but it's a bit like a public health nurse or uh -huh. a pediatric mm -hmm. public health nurse. Health visitors visit all families where there's a child under five and advise on the sort of things that in many countries is the role of a pediatrician. So that would be like general development, immunization, and of course, feeding. And, that's, and so that is so nice because you typically don't have enough time with your pediatrician, you know, to get all your answer or questions answered. And so how long did you spend with each family when you would visit them? Um, well, that has changed over the years. But back when I was doing it, I could easily spend uh, anything between quarter of an hour and an hour with the family in their own home. Um, just chatting through these things, and I would be able to visit them maybe two or three times a year. Things have changed a little since then. It's much more clinic-based nowadays. But the, the essential idea of, of having devoted time one-on-one -on -one with a family, preferably in their own home, still survives. And in the UK, it, that is really the source of information on, on things like introducing solid foods, because pediatricians in the UK tend to see families only when there's an, a, a, a medical reason. Oh. They don't do oh. much in the way of preventive work. 
Great. And so is that how you started in the baby led weaning area? <laughs> oh, yeah. So I saw I came across lots of families who were having issues and problems with introducing solids. And they would say things to me like, you know, I can't get him to eat apple puree, but if I'm eating an apple, he wants to have a go. And I would say, find myself saying, well, why don't you let him then? And uh, I also found that where things would perhaps start off going well, by the when the baby reached about, I don't know, around about eight months, problems would set in, the baby would start to refuse certain foods, push the spoon away, um, and, and people became unstuck. And I just found that letting the child do it themselves provided the answer. Um, but in those days, because we were introducing solid foods from as early as four months, sometimes even earlier, we were only, we'd only just made the change to four months when I started practicing in the 70s. And um, so it, the idea of the child feeding themselves could only be the answer to a problem. It wasn't the way to start. Correct. Then, uh, around about the turn of the century, when the, the WHO, the World Health Organization, was saying, hey, you know what, I think six months is as early as we need to start, then it all began to fall, in, fall into place because the other part of my, uh, or another part of my role, which was around assessing child development, and we would regularly do developmental assessments on babies at around six months. Um, and guess what? At six months, what you expected to see was a baby who could sit upright, maybe with a little support, but they could support their own trunk and their head. They could reach out, they could grab stuff, and they took everything to their mouth. Um, I didn't realize in the beginning that what I was seeing was feeding activity. But when we came to the idea that six months was the earliest you needed to start, it, it just became obvious that this is what babies have been showing us all this time. Right. And um, I, I remember my mother-in-law um, telling me, I was like, I don't know, it's not working. I would spoon feed the baby and they'd spit it out. And she said, you just have to keep scooping it up, put it back in, keep scooping it up, put it back in. And I'm like, this seems really wrong. <laughs> the child was just not ready to eat and still had that tongue thrust. Um, so yeah, I, I love to look at the developmental changes rather than the age. Yes. Yes, and we're, we're getting to recognize that now at long last. Yeah, so, you know, so that's part of the problem with starting purees is developmentally the baby might not be ready. But what are some of the other problems with, you know, the mainstream thought process of giving oatmeal or, an, or rice cereal and, and a puree? Um. Okay, so perhaps we should backtrack slightly and say, how, how did we get started with that? And it, it does date back to when we were thinking very uh, genuinely that babies needed these other foods before we now know that they really did. And so if you're going to give um, other foods other than, than breast milk or formula to a baby of three, four months old, the only way you can get it into that baby is to puree it and shovel it in with a spoon. There's no other way to do it. Um, so that became the norm. Incidentally, um, I'm often asked for research to support the idea of baby-led weaning, which there is more of nowadays, but there wasn't when I was starting. And I quite quickly realized, hang on a minute, there's no research to support what we're doing already. Correct. So why wouldn't we, you know, so it just became custom and practice. If you're going to get food into a child of that age, 
you have to spoon feed it. And guess what? A puree is the most suitable uh, format to use with a spoon or the other way around. If you're going give, to give it food, it needs to be pureed so the child can swallow it without needing to chew because they can't chew. Um, and so you're naturally going to use a spoon to put it in with. So what we have to do is step back from all that and say, so what does a child of, of six months actually need? They can pick the food up and get it to their mouth and they can chew it. So why would we want to prevent them from doing that? And that's what pureeing does. It prevents that natural development of skills, uh, the development of chewing skills, which is linked to the development of the shape of the inside of the mouth, of the palate, the roof of the mouth. Um, the texture is uniform, which is boring for the baby. Right. And they don't have any chance to recognize the foods because what it looks like when they're given it, if they're even able to have given a chance to see it at all, it doesn't look anything like kind of the real thing. And it doesn't look anything like what everyone around them is eating. Right. Um, we also if, know now that purees, by definition, are ultra-processed, and they have a lot of free sugars in them. Just the act of pureeing, even if you make it at home and you don't add extra sugar, just the action of pureeing releases free sugars into the food, mm -hmm. which would not normally happen with, if you're chewing stuff. Um, so it's kind of what it prevents, really. And then when you're giving it by spoon, essentially the adult is in control of the size of the mouthful and the, the pace at which the feeding happens and often the amount that's actually eaten because it's it's very easy to encourage babies to eat more than they want. Babies are very compliant and, and uh, want to please us. So they'll often take one more spoonful for grandma and another one for granddad and so on. Right. Um, and you you're also not getting that normal mealtime interaction where everyone has at the table has the same status and is sharing the same event. If the baby's getting fed beforehand or even during the meal, it, it's disrupting what could be just a, a very nice, even family time. Right, and um, the other <coughs> issue that... Sorry. I, so, sorry. The, yeah, six, six months, babies want autonomy. They want to do things for themselves because they can. So that, that we're... They're much more likely to have issues and battles at mealtimes and picky eating and so on if a baby is restricted to being fed by someone else. I mean, if you if you did that to me, you mushed up all my dinners and, and insisted on feeding me by spoon, I, the only thing I would agree to eat would be chocolate pudding. I would be very picky. Um, and we're kind of encouraging that, unfortunately, just by having decided to do it to a child instead of letting them do it for themselves. And the other side of it was the suggestion in the United States, at least, is to um, start with like a rice cereal that has been fortified with iron. As we know that the breast milk, the iron stores start to deplete. Um, so I feel like that was the theory behind, behind dumping the iron into a very bland tasting food, thinking that you know, babies can't handle a lot of flavor. So my other issue with starting with this rice cereal with the added iron, why don't we start with iron fortified foods? And the other thing is, um, why are we starting with a carbohydrate when one of the big problems in the United States is obesity? You know, so why are we starting these kids on carbs and, and, um, fruit that has more sugar in it than if you eat it alone. Well, you're absolutely right. But again, this goes back to when we were doing it to kids who were too young to really need it. And we thought that a fat baby was a healthy baby. We thought it was all about weight. And so if you could pack those carbs in, that was great. Then when we discovered that, hang on, actually, 
rice cereals a bit lacking in some of the other nutrients, especially iron. Well, we'll fortify it then instead of actually doing what we should have done, which is to think, hang on a minute, maybe this means it's not really a good food for babies. Rice is plentiful around the world. It's a very cheap ingredient, um, and cheap ingredients do not uh, are, are the, the manufacturers of commercial foods are well aware that cheap ingredients are the ones they want to go for, of course. Um, so it's just it's another thing that's just become part of the culture without us really stepping back and looking at it and thinking, if you were going to design a first food for a baby, what would it be? And it would definitely not be rice. We also have issues nowadays. We're recognising that ice has potentially um, high levels of arsenic in it. Um, and so we're really trying to come away from that. And the obvious choice, if you want to give a child um, an extra and additional source of iron, is to use meat-based products or eggs, pulses, green vegetables. Those are the first ones we should be going for. And incidentally, I'm told by quite a lot of parents that those are the foods their babies seem to want to eat first, meat particularly. And they're surprised by how they'd much rather grapple with a, a kind of a smooth um, you know, bone with some, some meat on it than have a spoonful of rice. Right. And you have something about they, they don't need bland flavors at all. They enjoy uh, some really quite tasty food. So... For anyone who doesn't know what this approach is all about, tell us how this whole baby lead weaning works. So it's about um, really to begin with, it's it's trying to get away from the idea of food and hunger because for the baby, the motivation is interest in what's going on around them. You know, when they watch their parents eating, they actually don't have any idea that that is filling their belly. Um they just see it as an activity that looks like fun, like they watch their parents playing with their mobile phone or um, their car keys or whatever it is. They want to have a go. So it's about inviting the baby to be part of the family mealtime as an observer and as a partaker if they want to, rather than thinking about this is actually to do with feeding the baby. The milk feeds will carry on in the background. So it's about inviting your child to share your mealtime and to be offered the chance to test out some of the foods. Um, so you would have the baby sitting in a suitable, uh, either on your lap supported or, or in a suitable chair, preferably with a footrest to give them some stability. And then you would offer some of the same food that, that you're eating, which needs to be prepared according to the rules you would follow if you were making your own purees at home. So no added salt and sugar. Um, and certain foods to be avoided, like honey and, and um, uh, uncooked shellfish, the, the same sort of rules. Um, but beyond that, then you simply cut it into shapes that a baby of six months can pick up, which needs to be kind of a stick shape or a strip, because at six months, although they can grasp something in their fist, what they can't do is open their fist to get it out when it gets to their mouth. So they need something with a handle and a bit sticking out. Um, and it needs to be soft enough for them to munch with their gums, which is not very, very soft. But if it's squishable between the, the adult's um, first finger and thumb, then that's that's about right. And you just offer a, a small selection for the baby, two or three different foods at a time. So they've got a bit of choice and a bit of interest and just see what they do. Um, and they may do nothing at all or they may pick it up and throw it on the floor. They may or probably drop it, to be fair. At six months, they can't really throw intentionally. <laughs> um, they may bring it to their mouth. They may or may not munch on it or lick it. They'll 
almost certainly be sniffing it. They're taking in what it looks like and how it feels. And I think we underestimate how important that is, not only for interest and learning about food, but for safe eating. Um, when we like to know or the texture of something before we put it in our mouth, that tells us how it's going to behave. You think of something like a mushroom. You know, if you've never encountered one before, that kind of rubbery consistency is something that it's really helpful to kind of know before you put it in your mouth because you, you can anticipate what to do with it. And babies are learning all of that as well. And the idea of just putting something in their mouth before they're ready for it, it's really uh, quite shocking when you turn things around and look at them that way. I certainly wouldn't want something put in my mouth that I hadn't checked out thoroughly first, especially if it's something I wasn't familiar with. That's, so that's, that's, a, that's a very interesting point is uh, to allow them to pick it up, smell it, kind of lick it first and investigate the food before they're putting it in their mouths. Yeah. And I, I've um, seen a lot of babies, when they push a spoon away, it doesn't necessarily mean they don't want it. If we actually, if you watch closely what they do, oftentimes they're just wanting to look at the food and, and say, hang on, what is this? Give me a minute. Let me let me just sort this out. Or maybe just let me bring it to my mouth myself. They're not necessarily pushing it away and rejecting it. And we're misinterpreting those signals sometimes. So you get parents being told, well, hold their hands down so they can't do that. And then you can get it in their mouth. You know, make them laugh to make them open their mouth. I would feel very frightened if somebody did that to me. Right. Um, right. And, and the other thing is with baby led weaning that the baby is able to watch what's going on around them and copy what, what other people are doing and know that this food is safe because, hey, my parents are eating it. It's got to be safe. That's a very basic survival uh, need to know that what you're eating is safe. So if the food looks the same as what everyone else is eating, they're going to be reassured about that. It's another reason why they often prefer to be given something from your plate rather than you know, they can see it coming from your plate. That's another reassurance. Oh, and then they decide whether they're going to eat and how fast they're going to eat it and when they're going to stop. And all of that is in their control. And, and they love it. They absolutely love it. Yeah, that's another <laughs> issue I had with... Um you know, the pureed method was, they were always telling us, okay, we'll start with one spoonful a day and then move on to, you know, a few tablespoons. And then you're going to start maybe doing two meals a day. And it was like, well, how do you know which meal? And, you know, it was, it, it made it far more difficult. And I, the other thing I love about this method is that they just sit with you during meals if they're awake, <laughs> um, they're not napping, and they join you. And it's yeah. sort of like one of the best toys that you can hand a child because it really does uh, take all of their senses to figure these things out. And um, I just love, I love the whole idea about it. And the, the big part of it is the frequency of the feeds and that stressor on parents. Yeah, yeah. And babies, I mean, we don't give babies the sort of educational toys that we would give to a toddler, like Play-Doh and um, you have plasticine in, in, in the States. Um, those sort of uh, toys are not, and, and sand, we don't let young children play with those, or babies. But food is, it does all of that for them. It's the ultimate messy play. So there's so much more they're learning. Uh, and it, it really is, the actual eating is by the by, because their milk feeds continue to provide pretty much everything they need. 
for quite a long time and should certainly be a major part of their diet until about a year old. So they that time is available to them to learn about food and develop a good relationship with food before they really need it nutritionally. They will get the odd bit in, which allows them to top up whatever they may need in terms of, for example, iron, provided that the, the right foods are offered. But in terms of taking in a quantity, there's absolutely no rush. Um, whereas when we were taught before, it was all about quantity because we thought that was important. Um, and we also have a, a legacy of, of being very cautious about foods that the baby might have a bad reaction to. So hence this, like you say, one spoonful and maybe focusing on one food for three days before you introduce another. All of that related to a much more immature baby than the baby we're talking about nowadays. We don't need to be so cautious. At six months, they're much more robust. Um, and again, we were spoiling their, their uh, dampening their curiosity and their keenness to learn and making it into an ordeal instead of a, a, an enjoyment. Yeah, and I think that um, there's a lot of stress on parents uh, to start this and to do it well. And if the child's not interested, they start to be concerned. Um, and, and so they're really worried about the intake of food. And so when do we typically see the child take in more food and require less milk? Um, well, it's, it's one of the things that's very gradual, you know, and parents look at each other and say, do you know, well, maybe it was about three weeks ago, or maybe it was last Thursday, or, you know, it's, it, it's so gradual, because the child's in charge. Um, and um, it, it, the baby will simply start to take less milk at their milk feeds, which may not be obvious if you're breastfeeding, of course, when you don't see what they're getting anyway, they may simply skip a feed. Um, but all of that's within their control. Parents have told me um, often that they they notice a point where their child suddenly gets the plot, and it seems to be around eight, nine months when they are noticeably eating more purposefully and apparently being driven more by hunger uh, than, than simply by curiosity. They're, they sort of have suddenly tweaked that this food can do something for me other than just be amusing. Um, and I would say it's it's around about eight, nine months old. But the, equally, there are plenty of uh, babies who that doesn't happen for till much nearer a year or even after. Um, you know, if I had a, a dollar for every time I've been, um, I had somebody contact me and say, my child's still not eating anything much. What, you know, what should I do? And the thing is, there isn't anything you can do. They, that child is telling you that they don't need this yet. And that's absolutely fine. So unless there's demonstrably something you know, that, that, that they're lacking um, or there are concerns about their health because of some underlying problem, they should be just left to get on with it and they will eat, begin to eat soon. We don't have to get food into children and persuade them to eat. Their appetite tells them what we need them to know, but we've got this legacy of stuffing food into children from such a young age that our expectations of what a child of, say, nine, ten months, one-year-old should eat are very distorted. Right. And I remember in my career of, you know, getting that phone call at nine months or so and saying my milk supply it has dropped drastically. And there's only always two questions I ask. One, could you be pregnant? And two, when did you start solid foods? 
And so that was a very common theme for a while. We see an early introduction to solid foods and using that pureed method where the baby's overfeeding and then the food starts replacing the milk far too early. <laughs> so I also I have a, um, a, a small pet theory as well that actually our, our rush to replace the liquid element of milk may be at fault too. Um, in the early days when babies are really not eating very much at all, there's often no need to give them extra drinks of water. It's, it's great to have a little cup of water there at the table so they can have a go if they want to and, and learn about that. But we, we shouldn't be giving them other drinks. It's important that they carry on getting all their uh, fluids from the breast or bottle, especially in terms of breastfeeding, so they're still getting a good amount of all those antibodies and stuff. Oh, that's um, a good point. Rushing to give babies extra drinks is what cuts down their appetite for their milk feeds probably more uh, acutely than giving them solids. That's a very good point. So, all right, here's the big question, Jill. I know you get it over and over again. What <laughs> about choking? <laughs> okay, so, well, my first response to that is actually that um, even when we were starting babies on solid foods at, say, four months, the recommendation was to start introducing finger foods, foods that they could hold from about six months because, hey, at that age, they can sit up, they can reach for food, they can grab it, take it to their mouth. So it was always there alongside the puree. And nobody was waving their arms in horror back then and saying, oh, no, we can't do that, they'll choke. I mean, sure enough, some parents found that a worrisome time, but there wasn't this big emphasis on it. Um, and... I think underlying that was partly, well, we were doing it anyway, so it kind of must be okay, but also a, an idea that by having the experience of pureed foods, babies were prepared to manage the other foods better. We actually don't have any evidence for that at all. There is no evidence that the experience with puree helps you be ready to, for foods that need chewing. And I, in my personal experience and observations and, and, and uh, accounts that I've been told, it may even be the opposite because pureed food encourages you to just have it in your mouth and swallow it and in and swallow. There is nothing in between, no chewing phase. And But if you try that with uh, a food that does need chewing, you quickly get into trouble. You know, So it's the difference between how you would eat a smooth tomato soup and how you would eat a minestrone soup with lumps in it. You have to use a different technique. And so a lot of the times when I was back as a health visitor, when I saw parents struggling with a baby of around eight months, one of the very common problems was that the baby was choking up or coughing and gagging on the so-called second stage dinners, which were like purees with bits of lump, bits of, you know, lumps in them. Mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. the baby was simply trying to swallow it straight away, didn't know he had to chew it. That's completely different from when a baby takes a bite out of a piece of food, which starts off in the front of their mouth, which is where they chew it. And very often with baby led weaning, what happens in the early days is that it falls back out again because they aren't yet ready to make it into a, a, what's called a bolus, gather it together and take it to the back of their throat for swallowing. That, that ability develops later. So in that sense, baby led weaning is probably keeping babies safe um, by helping them to learn things in the right order. It also is the case that, of course, when they're being spoon fed by someone else, they're at more risk of not being able to coordinate their breathing with, with a spoon going in. So uh, there's a, more of a chance of sort of inhalation. So all the worries we have just because we've, we've been taught for so long that babies are likely to choke um, have got pinned onto baby led weaning when in fact 
um, there's no evidence that the way we were doing things was any safer. But clearly, there are rules to be followed about cutting grapes in, in quarters, say, early on, not giving babies whole nuts, common sense things that you we would never have done anyway. We don't suddenly start doing that at six months. Um, but there's a lot built into what babies do that, that, that keeps them safe anyway. And, and that thing I said earlier on about them not being able to get at something inside their fist, babies don't develop that pincer grip where they can pick up something small between their thumb and forefinger until around about eight, nine months. So they'd be very unlikely on their own to get something into their mouth that would be a small round shape like a pea or a blueberry. Um, if we're going to offer those, it's recommended that we, we smash them first. And that's, that's, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, but it is interesting that, in fact, the chances of them getting something of a partic that particular small round shape into their mouths by themselves is pretty remote anyway until they would have the oral skills to deal with it. That's that's it's so sensible. It just all makes so much sense. Um, it, it makes me crazy that we had all these rules <laughs> before. <laughs> yeah, so, we had to develop all those rules because we were doing it to kids who were too little to have it. So we had to be really, really, really careful. Right, right. So what are there any disadvantages to baby led weaning approach? Uh, not for the baby, no, I don't think so. Um, it, it really is great for them, helps them develop in so many areas, and including for children whose development is not typical, who have neurodevelopmental problems or physical anomalies or medical conditions. Putting them in charge of their eating is is uh, uh, hugely beneficial. Um, I recently uh, wrote a second book with Jill Rabin, who is a speech-language pathologist in the Chicago area, and she's been using an adapted baby-led weaning approach with, with the kids that she sees for about 10 years now. And with huge, amazing results. Oh. Um, oh. So it, it, it's like you can put, in fact, children who have feeding challenges often end up being spoon-fed and having very bland or pureed food for far longer than they really need, simply because people think they won't be able to feed themselves. But actually they can. They just need things to be adapted slightly to to support them to do that. Um, but, yeah, that that's it's a pretty amazing. Um, that book's called Your Baby Can Self-Beat Too. It's adapted baby-led weaning. Um, so oh, we're going to have to bring you back yeah. for that talk to talk about that because that's yeah, really yeah. interesting. Yeah, that would be great. Um, but so back to disadvantages, if there are any, maybe for the parents, I mean, it's going to be messy. Yeah, it is messy. Uh, yeah. Children need space to experiment and explore. And in the beginning, they're not very coordinated and they're not very good at stopping things falling off their tray or whatever. Um, if you're the other big disadvantage, if you like, is that you can't measure what they've eaten. So while on the one hand, we're saying you absolutely don't need to, babies will eat what they need. And that's all we need to know. If we're someone who's been, who, who really feels they need to know what their child's eaten, then that, that person is going to struggle with baby-led weaning. Um, often I've been asked in the past, is baby-led weaning easier or, or more designed, if you like, for babies who are breastfed? And I would say, well, no, all babies will start this business of picking things up and taking it to their mouth at around six months. All of them are curious, no matter how they've been fed. So it's absolutely great for all babies. But the parents who may struggle slightly more are those who've been used to formula feeding because... They've been able to see food going in, and uh, of the milk going in, uh, you know, empty bottle, full baby kind of thing. And, and they've been used to working with amounts. 
Whereas those that have made it as far as six months with breastfeeding, they've done that probably because they've learned to trust the baby already and not to worry about amounts. Right. Because we know that, that that's how you get breastfeeding to work, really, is to hand it over to the baby. So there, there are some disadvantages, some challenges, should we say, for parents who are coming at it from um, a slightly more controlled way of doing things. So, and the other thing is that obviously we want to be sitting with our child when they're eating, um, you know, with any approach, uh, you take. So what do you advice do you give parents if the child is in a daycare setting and it may be one caregiver to several children? Is this a safe approach to use, uh, taking food to daycare? Uh, yes. I mean, uh, what, what we want is buying from the daycare staff, obviously. But yeah, daycares that have um, taken on board baby-led weaning, number one, they, they see it as a huge educational thing for, for the children and it enables ba- babies to eat with other uh, other age groups or with several other babies of the same age group, uh, you know, in, in tandem, they can eat together. Um, but also that very point that um, one caregiver can supervise, let's say, four or five babies eating at the same time you know, if one of them did have a problem, they're not all going to do that at the same time. Whereas when you're spoon feeding, you really do need to be one on one. And so they found it, it makes mealtime so much more of a social occasion for the babies uh, and frees up the staff to, to, um, they're not so worried about getting babies fed quickly because they can supervise several at one time. So a lot of daycares have, uh, are coming around to it and seeing huge advantages. Um, there are some who are not so keen, and in those situations, parents are the best place to educate them, to show them what the, what their child can do, um, and, and the parent may be the one who needs to send in the type of food that, that their baby is um, able to manage. Um, it, the extreme is that the baby gets spoon-fed at daycare and, and feeds themselves at home, but um, that's it's a pity if it has to come to that, especially as the baby may, may refuse to be spoon-fed in daycare because they're used to doing it themselves. So it's definitely a conversation parents need to have with the establishment. Um, but more and more are coming around to seeing it's a great thing. So our clients at the Breastfeeding Resource Center, once um, their child is a year old, they get sent a survey. And one of the things we ask is, when did you start solid foods and what method did you do? And I would say predominantly people say a combination is there anything wrong with you know i kind of know the answer to this after we spoke but you know is it okay if the parents do a combination or is it just unnecessary okay so um the short answer is it's fine but uh it depends what we mean by combination so uh, here's where i start to sound a little bit pedantic but uh, i'll try and explain why it's important I don't refer to baby-led weaning as a method. I refer to it as an approach. It's it's alongside kind of responsive parenting. It's it's an approach to, to the feeding of your baby that puts the trust in the baby and gives them the control. And if we're doing, sometimes we're spoon feeding, sometimes we're letting the baby feed themselves, then we're not actually handing all of that control over to the baby. We're, we're right, retaining some of it. So... Whatever works for that family is absolutely fine by me. But I do think it's important that we understand what what we're, what we're saying and what we're actually describing because it's not possible to combine two approaches 
to feeding your baby. It's not possible to trust the baby one day and not the next day, or at one meal and not the next meal, or to trust them for the first part of the meal and then not trust them at the end of the meal and shovel some spoonfuls in just to make sure they've had something. We have to take one approach or the other. And if we want to retain a slightly more controlled approach, but still mix feeding methods, so mix self-feeding with spoon feeding, mix finger foods with purees, that's fine. But we can't really call that baby-led weaning. And that matters for two reasons. Uh, One is if we want, and we're we're gradually getting more and more research into baby-led weaning, it's becoming apparent that these studies are very difficult to interpret or to compare with one another when the baby-led weaning has not been well-defined. Um, it's a bit like, well, you will know the same with breastfeeding and formula feeding. You know, is is one bottle a day still exclusive breastfeeding? No, it's not. And it's great. If that's what the family chooses and that works for them and their baby, that's absolutely fine. But what we call it matters for research purposes and for understanding the potential benefits of, let's say, exclusive breastfeeding. So the benefits of baby-led weaning will not be able to be identified if we're not, if we're muddying the waters. And the other thing is um, when it's shared on social media and so on, if somebody is sharing something that they're calling baby-led weaning or a combination with somebody else who hasn't read what baby-led weaning actually is, then it's gradually going to become distorted as people share it with their friends and we'll lose sight of what it actually means. And there are a lot of people who think that if you're just giving your baby a stick of, of food to hold occasionally, then you're doing a combination with baby-led weaning. And you're not, because actually that's what introducing solids probably looks like if you start at six months anyway. That's one of my issues is that nobody's really described, if you're not going to start purees at four months, if you're going to introduce solids at six months, then how do the purees and, and the finger foods overlap and, and blend together you know do you I've heard people say well you do purees for the first two weeks or even you do purees for a weekend it's like, what we have absolutely <laughs> no research to back that up but we, we kind of don't know what it's supposed to look like if you're doing the traditional method but starting at six months we, we don't have a description of that and so people are saying they're doing a combination when actually they're doing what conventional feeding probably looks like if you start at six months Right, you're right. That's a really complicated answer, I know. But it really, it does matter what we call it. Uh, And and our whole approach uh, of trusting the baby is is not something you can combine with a a different approach. Yeah, makes sense. (laughs) You know, and you look at all the old research on breastfeeding, if, if the person was doing it twice a day, they were lumped into the breastfeeding group. So... Right. All of the, you know, advantages of breastfeeding that were held in research, they're probably that times 10 um, due to the fact they weren't uh, exclusive. So that makes complete sense. So um, what when do you introduce like a cup and silverware and things like that for the child? Um, As early as you want, really. I mean, it's about expectations. There's no reason why we can't give the baby a spoon to experiment with. And so quite a lot of babies, even as young as um, certainly seven, eight months, can kind of dip with a spoon, even though they can't kind of scoot effectively. Uh, incidentally, the, the first piece of silverware um, that many babies find, how, find out how to use is a fork, not a spoon, because most of their stuff is not in a sloppy kind of format that they could easily scoop anyway. I mean, I don't use a spoon for my main course, but I do use a fork. 
And so if they're used to handling pieces, then the kind of stabbing or spearing a piece is easier than trying to scoop it up with a spoon. But uh, it's it's about, again, this sharing and modelling of adult behaviour. There's no reason why we can't give them a little spoon and fork appropriate, appropriate for their size and so on. Um, right from the beginning, what we shouldn't do is expect them to use it or, or, or push for them to use it. They need to, to handle food first because... You know, that's the way their development is. They, they learn how to use tools um, later. They need to use their hands first. And also that whole business about um, kind of learning about texture and, and safe eating and so on means that they do need to handle the food. Um, but equally, they don't need liquid initially, but a little cup, why not have it there? Especially a small one, like a little um, kind of shot glass size, so that it's it's easy for them to handle. And not too much will get spilled if they if they tip it over, but yeah, they want to have what other people are having. Um, but we just shouldn't have the expectation that they're going to be able to use them efficiently just yet. Right. I just had a flashback. My uh, grandson. I remember my daughter-in-law going. He won't take his spoon. All he wants is my fork. And now that you said that, it makes so much sense. <laughs> he couldn't use the spoon. He could jab things with the fork. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. I mean, if we want to give babies sloppy food from the beginning, then yeah, use a spoon, but give the spoon to the baby. Let them hold it. Make it a spoon that's got a short handle that fits inside his hand, not a, a traditional weaning spoon with a long handle that is designed for the parent to control. Right. You know, give babies right. appropriate uh, uh, silverware and, and pass them something ready loaded. Yeah, fine. Um, but don't expect that they're going to be efficient and, and allow them to abandon it because it's actually frustrating and they want to get stuck in with their hand. Well, this has been wonderful. Um, what could you give like one piece of advice for new parents getting started uh, this point of their lives with their six month old baby? Um. Well, it's, I guess, just a kind of overarching with the word I've used several times, trust your baby. Trust that they know what they need, that they will eat, uh, that they will want to eat, um, and it's not your job to get food into them. Trust that in their abilities, if they can't pick that thing up and get it to their mouth yet, then they're probably not ready to chew it either. So putting it in their mouth for them is not a safe idea and it's not actually help, helping them. Um, allow them... Trust that they, their development will work for this. Um, keep offering foods that, that they maybe have turned down once or twice. You know, that's fine. Um, and uh, trust their appetite. Uh, just trust them. <laughs> and be amazed. And be amazed at what they can do. Yes, yes. Well, I love this approach. I encourage everyone who's listening, who's ready to start this next step um, to purchase your book because one of my favorite things about it are all of the parents' stories along the mm. way, I think are, are so helpful and, you know, kind of eases your mind about things. Um, so I love it. So again, Baby Led Weaning, The Essential Guide to Introduce Solid Foods. Um, and, you know, have fun with it and trust your baby. I agree. So I want to thank you so much for joining us, Jill. Did you have anything else to add? Uh, I don't think so, no. Just uh, thank you so much for helping me to share it and um, go for it. Great. Well, I hope this helps new parents make an informed decision about starting solids. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to The Feeding Frenzy. 
The BRC is a nonprofit organization committed to providing expert clinical and educational breastfeeding services. Find out more about us at breastfeedingresourcecenter.org.